1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Tracy Williams, welcome to The Mentor, mate. Man,
0: it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, that's uh, it's a bit of a thrill for me too. Um, uh, I'm growing up, uh, harm globetrotters was a big mm. deal for me as a kid. Uh, although access to seeing them wasn't that easy because we didn't have all the, you know, the protocols that are around today that you could see, you can pretty much watch everything. In those days I had to somehow wait for you guys to come on the television or uh, I definitely didn't get to see you in life, real life. But uh, but before we talk to that, I I want to just flip back a little bit. Um, So you grew up in New York.
0: Born and raised... Uh, born in Brooklyn, New York. I got to get this right because my North Carolina people will be upset. Spent the first part of my life in New York and went to... Uh, my mom and dad got a divorce and my dad was from North Carolina, a little small town, Moorhead City, North Carolina, right on the coast, right on the ocean. And uh, ended up... I went down there to live with him and graduated high school when I was in North Carolina. So, yep, yeah, New York... Uh, North Carolinian by way of New York.
1: Yeah, but did you go <laughs> yeah. back to uh, New York?
0: I do, I do. Not as much as I used to. I used to love going back, Mark. You know, I mean, the city. I mean, I don't. I know you probably travel. You know, the the north and the south thing is different. So I'm in a rural area in North Carolina, where there's a house maybe every two kilometers, or whatever, to uh, New York City, where it's nine million on top of your head. So I've always loved the city. Now when I go back, I got 72 hours. 72 hours, I love it. I love it. Then the best view of New York is in my rear view.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm ready to
0: go. I was there in July. I was so much in a hurry to get back to Australia, man. I was. After about four or five days, I said, I'm good.
1: Can you you just take me through your, um, how did basketball become a thing in your life? Or, Or was it always a thing in your life?
0: No, it really it wasn't really. You know, I kind of was like, um, you know, in New York where we call it, it's like the mecca for basketball. Well, you know, when you talk about the histor- historically basketball, the game, New York is probably like the hotbed area for that. Um, north Carolina is kind of too, but I wasn't really into basketball when I was up north. It was when I got down into the south and stuff, and. I didn't really like being there, but everybody, the sports that they played was either football or basketball. And I was tall and what and I kept growing tall and taller. You know, I was over six foot in the sixth grade. So then people were like, man, you need to play basketball. And my dad played a little bit, but he never talked about it. Cause my dad was six, eight and he never really talked about it. So it wasn't that influenced from there, but it was kind of like the people in my neighborhood. I happened to play in the area where Michael Jordan, we all played against each other in high school, knowing each other since ninth grade. So you kind of got, I kind of got caught up into that, um, and it was, it was a situation where I, like most kids, I started doing it because I was kind of looking for something that I was good at, and then I started liking it, and then I fell in love with it, and then the rest is history. You know, it was just, it was that all the time you Know and I would say probably, you know, about yeah, around about sixth, seventh grade, I was just like, Yeah, this is what I'm going to do. You know, I didn't know how, but I knew I was going to do it at a high level.
1: So, you did, you, you, it's not one of those sort of um, the mean streets of um, Chicago or you know, yeah, New York, where a kid sort of his only way of sort of getting ahead was to play basketball. Um, this is more a you know, you sort of gently went into it in terms of um, being at sixth in sixth grade, you know, living in this small town in North Carolina. Yeah. Um, being so, sort of told, "Hey, you, hey, dude, you're tall enough. Uh, why don't you give a basketball a crack?" You know, uh, yeah. is, is that how it sort of started?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, well, look, I had I had six sisters. Um, six sisters. Six sisters, and I, I'm the only boy. Wow. And um, and it seems like they were all like smarter than me better in school and everything. And you know, you start to think like, look, what do you do? What do you do good? Is there anything that you do good? Well, I talked a lot and and I love talking. You know, I loved Howard Cosell and people like that growing up. I just love listening to those voices. And um, and then basketball ca- came along and that was my height. I always tell people that the Harlem Globetrotters are our only basketball team that we play with microphones sewn into our uniforms. So I always said God created the Globe in 1926 so I could have a job in 1986. And and so I could talk the two things I love to do, talk while I'm playing, and playing the game that I love. So I, I, I when I got into it, it was um, it was a game that you could express yourself while you were out there. and it just kind of fit my personality. And as I got, I I was really lazy, Mark, to be honest with you. I was really, really lazy at the beginning. But that competitive side comes to you when you start. People saying, oh, man, you tall for no reason. And you just not, you know, why you got all of this height and you're not good. So all of those things kind of started mixing in together. And then I said, you know what? I always knew I was going to do something big. I never knew what it was. And I said, basketball, that's going to be my ticket. That's gonna get me out of there, and it's been all of that and some more.
1: Ever any resistance from your family, like from your oh, dad? Oh,
0: absolutely, absolutely. My dad owned a trucking company, and he was like, "Yo, you're gonna be a truck driver when you go up." I'm like, "Nah, not, not gonna be." So you truck. said that? Not you thought that? You, know, you thought it? But I'm thinking, not gonna do the t- truck driving thing. Now I love it, love it for you. You helped feed me, feed us with it. I'm not doing that. I just, I just knew it was something else that I was supposed to be doing. And um, but he was always, you want to be the truck driver. You're gonna be the truck driver. So it was always that look, that constant, you know, pressure that they had to do it. And then, but that helped me because I became one of the best players in the country. Because that was like, I knew. I said, if I don't become good at basketball, I'm gonna have to drive trucks. <laughs> so that was always that push behind me, cause I would see him getting up, coming in, smelling like diesel fuel and different stuff, and I'm like, Mm-mm, I'm going to the jail.
1: And you say he did six foot eight. Yep. What about you? How tall are you? Six six. You're six six. He yeah. got you. He got you by two inches.
0: Yeah. Never did outgrow him. Never did outgrow him in that. Um, and you know, and he played a little basketball too, but you know, not you know, not to the level that I did. But I mean. My dad was, you know, probably like with so many people watching this, was just a powerful, such a powerful p- a figure, not only just in stature, but, you know, I always tell people that I, I don't know if I'm giving him too much credit or not. It's like he knew my psychological being. He knew how to poke me and to do, you know, to get the best out of me. He understood how to do that. And I and I don't know if he it was a plan and he knew it, but he could say the things, you know. Nobody could ever say something so so bad that it would hurt me like he could hurt me. But nobody could say something good to me, and it make me feel so good. I mean, not in my wife. No, but I mean, my dad giving me a nod of approval. Man, it was like the the sun came out from behind the clouds. Man, it was just, you know, he was the, he's always was the one that I was trying to prove, even though I didn't want to be a truck driver like him, and like his daddy was, he's always been the catalyst for me to, to you know, to really push and fight through the laziness, fight through the attitudes and mentalities that caused me in the field, and just to keep striving. He's always done that, and now you know, he died in 2020. You know, I, I thought I was going to lose that, but now it's like it's been amplified on the inside of me now. It's like I'm I'm in the sixth grade again, and and now he can see everything. So now i really, really got to do something.
1: Well, can you tell me – because you know, basketball has become a big game in this country, but we sort of mostly play cricket or rugby league or right. AFL, as you know. Um, but basketball is still a big game here. It's growing. But I never played it, and I don't think a lot of our audience has probably ever played it. What makes a, a really good basketball, apart from having – you know athleticism in terms of their mindset what makes a very good basketballer? what would you say helped you out mostly and perhaps where did you get that trait from did you get it from your dad or your mom
0: I think both of them you know my mom I think I come from some silently super competitive people I think they've always wanted to win in life my mother as well as my dad and um I think the, the, the big thing about basketball is, I've described this one time like this, and maybe you appreciate this more. I said, you know, I feel like when I'm on the court, like I'm an artist, like, like, like Picasso or somebody. You know, the ball is my brush. You know, the, my, my skills and everything, that's my oils. And the court itself that we play on, that's the canvas. So every night, I get to go out and paint this picture perfect and I get to express myself through the game. I think the game is so easy for you to really express who you are individually. You know, you got players that were real stoic, like a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that never talked to fans too much or whatever. Then you had the passion of a Michael Jordan or different players or like that, that, you know, great players, great players, great players, but the way they played and the way they presented themselves while they played the game, I think that's so powerful for me. And, and it helped to shape me like mentally because people actually pay pay to come watch us work, you know, so the, for, so the feedback is immediate. Like in business, I'm doing in business now unless you look at my financials or different things, you know, you watching it every day, Yeah, you don't get that feedback like right away. You get that instant feedback. You do one thing wrong, boo, people booing you or whatever. It's that whole being at the man in the arena thing that helps to shape you in a way that I don't think, I think sports does something that politics say they try to do, that religion tries to do. It it not just reveals character, it builds character. So I think sports does that. I think that it it brings people together when I, you know, or state, state of origin and stuff here. Yeah. I just, I'm at church, Mark. And and mm-hmm. he ain't talking about Jesus. He's talking about the state of origin from the stage. And he's like, and I love that. I mean, sports does that. Brings us at, just in general, not just basketball, but just brings us together, and that's what I love. I love to see people getting together. Now, whether you booing me or you the, the opposition or you're 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 here for cheering for me, man, that energy. Oh my God, man, that's what I really, really, really miss. Is that whole that energy? That room is filled with the energy and and a vibration, man. You can't you can't duplicate it. I, I don't I've I've not done anything else that duplicates
1: that. It's funny when when I think of rugby league, say, for example, I think of <clears throat> I think more of a, a gladiatorial thing where they're trying to hurt each other, pretty much. It, but it's sort of quite static. Whereas when I think of basketball, and you, you said it quite interestingly uh, Lee, a few moments ago, it feels like someone has been creative on that field. They 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 spin around they. They do all sorts of really creative, cool mm-hmm. shit. Like, uh, And it's actually uh, quite uh, liberating to watch it. Um, but, uh, of course, that's what the Harlem Globetrotters was all about. That yep. was their thesis, you know, like yep. we're going to share everything with you. We're going to actually – they were super creative, super creative. They were doing stuff like you just think, how yeah. the hell do those guys do that? And I'll come back to that. But it seems to me – because I, I was sitting in the studio here and I was listening to you speaking outside. I could just hear you speaking and you're holding the group and uh it sounds like to me Tracy is a like an artist, a creative dude. He like to create. Yeah.
0: I like I tell my wife all the time I'm a renaissance man. I you know you wake up in the morning, beside a renaissance man, I'm all of these things. And and basketball it just amplified that that feeling, that desire to, you know, that you, like you said, when we walk out on the basketball court, especially as the Globetrotters, you know, that that crowd is coming to see something magical. Yeah. Not just sport. It's something magical. And and when you're just getting your ankles taped and everything, and I, I always love the part when we're at an arena somewhere in the world and you're standing behind the curtain and you hear the announcer say, ladies and gentlemen, a team who has entertained billions of Around the world for over eighty years, and you just think, like, man, you know, it's like this crescendo, this this build up that comes, and and and, and the globe trotter is like you say, is the ultimate level of expression because that's a part of the game. That's what that's that's at a, at its core. It's basketball, but not like the NBA. It's basketball, not like college. Not where you would on 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 a basketball court somewhere. But it's all of that built up, you know. They don't want, just want to see us score; they want us to score in this fantastic way. They want it in this such an unusual way, and they want it different every time. Every time you come to score, they like I said, they just want to say, "How could? How did you do that? How did they do that?" You just have to have that, and 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 you every night when you walk out there on that court, you know, you got to be magical. We call it basketball magic. You know, I'll catch the ball on my back of my neck like a soccer player and then shoot it into the goal, pop it off my head into the goal, and the people like, huh, you know. But then I'm coming down the court the next time, I know I gotta do something bigger than that. So it's that next thing, it's the next thing, it's the next thing. And if you're like me, man, there's no better place in the world, man. To be the, uh, nothing else better to do because said, that, that. like, on what's when you
1: next? Were mic'd up. What's next? It was on, it was on your jersey, the big, on me, your man. outfit, and it um, drives me. It what was the objective of I don't know whoever ran the Globe Globetrotters, the coach, etc., like the management, so to speak, when they talked to you and um, said, Look, today you're going to go out and you're going to be, be performing. Performing? You are performing, you're entertaining. Yes, it's not just we're there to barrack for our team, yep. we're there to watch a performance, and it is entertainment. And uh, – what do they say to you? Speak into – like tell us what you're thinking and uh, – because I mean, obviously it's it's a two-way thing. It's not just physicality. It's I can hear your voice. Yeah. What, what's the idea? What are they trying to do? Is they trying to draw me in? Are they trying to draw the crowd in? Are they trying to share with the crowd, you know, what Tracy's thinking and and his colleagues are thinking on the on the, on the court? What What is the thesis? What do they instruct you to do when they're talking to you, your coaching and all the other people who manage you guys? What, and Especially when you first started.
0: Well – you know, I, the only time the first sign I, had, uh, or sighting sighting of the Globetrotters, my mother bought me Globetrotter Trotter bed sheets from the cartoon, <laughs> the Metal Ark and those guys, and I remember I might have been in the fourth grade or something. And I had these bed sheets she got me for Christmas, and and I remember watching the cartoon too. So I I, I loved those sheets. I never wanted her to watch them. Then when I was in college, they reached out to my coach and said, we want to invite him to training camp. Now, my dad grew up, his favorite team was the Globetrotters because the NBA was segregated at the time when he was coming up. So black players, you know, couldn't play in the NBA. So the best black players, African-Americans, were on the Globetrotters. Like Will Chamberlain, all of the greats, when you talk about this, they all started, the first player to play – in a game in the NBA was a Globetrotter, you know, and that Sweetwater Clifton. He was a Globetrotter player and just kind of came over and played for the New York. So League. there was segregation? Yeah. Serious? Yeah. So for years and years, and the Globetrotters, I mean, the history is just so, you know, how integration actually came into it because a promoter got together and started playing the, the top team in the NBA, which was the Lakers at the time. And – they would play against the globe trotters the african american players in this thing called the world series of basketball so they would play a series of games for at Madison Square Garden or someplace like that. And, you know, and the Globetrotters always win the series. So, you know, and it was sold-out crowds. So, of course, you know, the owners, they was like, hey, we got to get these African-American guys on the team. Man, we're going to get these kind of sellouts like this. So that's how that kind of got started.
1: They got, they got smart.
0: Yeah, 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 some money in that. Yeah. So then the next thing was for me, my genesis personally was I said, well, I can't, you know, I immediately, like a lot of people do, Mark, and I know I've watched you, we, we try to help people with this stuff. was like, okay, that was my dad's favorite team. I couldn't play on that level, I'm thinking. And I remember going to the training camp thinking, I'm probably not going to make this team. I can't even spin the ball on my finger. You know, I'm you know i thinking all of the tricks and the things I've seen them do. I said, I, 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 I'm not good at any of that stuff. And I remember the vice president the lady that was there she was working the, um doing the training camp she came up to me and um she said what do you think you think you can play for this team cuz they interviewed you just like this what why do you think we we got you here and i said i said i don't know i don't know why i'm here they, i said she said well you're a good basketball player i said yeah but i'm not a globe trotter i mean a globe trotter is more than a basketball player and she said but you are she said but you are you you know, she said we can teach you that stuff, or we'll uh, w- the way she said it, we can bring that out of you. At that moment, I didn't believe her, but as I started playing games and stuff, and they opened it up and gave me, the, I saw the opportunities to show and how the people reacted to it. I became better and better, and I be- and more importantly, more I became confident, because that's the big thing being confident confident don't mean you're going to be perfect now some nights i missed one of them trick shots sometimes you know it didn't go just right or the well, way i planned it but that confidence always sustains me it's even when i fail on confidence is only important when you fail it really really yeah confidence is it, it confidence hurts you when you win it it makes you arrogant it makes you feel like you already arrived but the confidence comes when you done messed up, you done fail. That's when you need it. You that you need a big dose of that. You need to have a surplus of confidence there that takes you and it, it sustains you till that next opportunity comes. It helps you to see other opportunities. And once you start that journey or get into that, the confidence carries you. It pulls you. It pulls you. You know, I always tell young kids and. People, I said, look, have a dream and hold on to it. And then one day the dream gets a hold of you. See, when you would start out holding the dream, and then the dream takes a hold of you, it gets you and it moves you now. Now you don't even have to come in uh, motivated and pull. It just keeps pulling you. It won't let you rest until you get there. So, you know, I, I, I've my My experiences, especially with the globe have equipped me, created a platform for me in so many ways to what I do now. You know, I don't think I ever could have been as effective as I am now without that experience because again, it took me around the world we We do a world tour every year. We hit all uh, seven continents a lot of times. We, you know, we play. When I was playing, we only had the one team, so we were playing three hundred and twenty-five games a year. You know, we start in Europe, we go all over. Three
1: hundred twenty-five, three
0: hundred twenty-five games a year, and I mean, like you get. I think my first year on the team, I flew home for to see my family for Christmas. I got in Christmas Eve about five o'clock, and. The next day at around four o'clock on Christmas day, I'm getting on a plane going to Halifax, Nova Scotia and, and to play a game. And I'm, I'm, I flew to North Carolina and now I'm flying to Nova Scotia. You just right back out, right back out on the road. We play seven days a week. On the weekends, we'll play double headers. So we, you could play a game, say in Sydney this morning, and then we'll be in Willagong that night, you know, so we'll do play out. So it was just, it was that constant grind I'm doing media in the mornings and doing so it's always you know it's just always stuff do I loved it though I loved all of it and it helped me so much now because I got to see how this is received by people from different backgrounds and different places in the world so I have that understanding now I know what works in Tokyo ...and what works in Tennessee, I understand that.
1: So they said, because you were talking about confidence earlier on... ...and obviously the, the Globetrotters gave you a lot of confidence... In, ...in what you did in terms of basketball, for example... ...and also mm-hmm. entertainment, that's mm-hmm. probably a big part of it. Yeah. But do you, everybody says practice makes perfect. Do you think the, given that you are playing 325 games a year... ...or appearing twenty five times a year... ...would you say that um, practice makes confidence
0: it can it can i think doing something over and over builds confidence you know whether it's good or bad yeah you get you become confident in it cuz you do it a lot you know um i think there's a lot to be said about you know cuz i know so many people who go to trainings and then we are, we we got a saying but when the lights come on it don't translate. It don't get there. They're great in the trainers. They do every drill perfect, Mark. Yeah, gym I mean, trainers. Yeah, yeah. Just it. and you and it was and it used to be and it still is discouraging to me to see when these guys get in the game, they can't perform for whatever reason they can't do it. So, so does it create confidence? It's it's kind of the way you look at it. Um, I think you gotta have this. Um, ability to hit a mental switch. You know, it's kind of like coaches always tell you in every sport, the game is 80, 90% mental. It's, it's here. The coaches would come up to us when we get on the plane or the bus and they'll go like, Mark, think about the game. Get your head in the game. Play the game in your head before you get there. Play it in your, you know, at first I was thinking that's just coach speak. You know, coaches just doing that and stuff. stuff. Now, now, I understand what they were saying. Play the game in your head. Now, in the game the game in my head, I never turn the ball over. I never miss a shot. And, then, and now if I had to go back again, I would really, really focus. I would set my clock when I think about the game and think about it as long as an actual game starts. I would see myself throwing that half-court hook shot. It's going in every time. Because your brain don't know really what's real. It's what you train it to do. You know, I'm always telling people, train your brain. You got to train your brains like you do your body. I ride through Sydney early mornings, people always running. They're running with their dog, they're running, pushing the, the scroller with their kids. And you know what I always say when I sit that a lot, like Mark, I say, I wonder how much time are they spending training their brain? Training their brain. Because if that head ain't right, ain't nothing right.
1: You mean like, as in visualizing?
0: So, because, I mean, I, I,
1: you're right. I mean, I, definitely you're right. But I mean, I was just thinking about. You know, I did boxing for many years and a lot of guys were really good in the gym. Someone's hold the pads up. But the moment you put them in the ring
0: yeah.
1: and there's, you know, 500 people standing there watching them, they collapsed. Yep. And uh, because I think, to your point, they didn't spend enough time visualizing what it's going to be like yep. for that, you know, six rounds of three minutes or whatever the case may be. They never actually did that. They didn't actually visualize something happening to themselves, and what am I going to do? Because it's not about what you're going to do, it's about about how I'm going to react. Yeah. So in business, probably a lot of people might practice they might have to go into a pitch trying to raise money, or they might be doing a pitch to a new business partner or a supplier or a distributor. you've got to actually not only write it down, you know build it up and read it out, and, but you've actually got to look at yourself in the mirror for example, and say it, speak speak to the mirror, speak to your friends, speak to your colleagues, and then sit down and think it through. I mean, is this the sort of stuff that you do in your talks? I mean, do you borrow from what you've learned as a, as a globetrotter? And, 100%. And this is the sort of stuff you talk about around confidence, about practice, about, uh, you know, um, the ability to deliver uh, leadership. Is this the sort of stuff you do?
0: Yes. Look, I when I was a young kid and I first started playing basketball, I would go into my bathroom and lock the doors so my sisters couldn't come in there, and I would look. And I would do, I would sit on the stool and do press conferences in the mirror, just like I saw the guys, the top players in the country did. You know, I had my little Gatorade cup and <laughs> set it on the counter, on the, and I would say, um, all right, questions? And, you know, and I would have the, the make-believe. Now, when it finally happened, You know, I'm playing on CBS Sports. Um, We're playing the number one team in the country, and I'm the MVP of the game. As soon as I walked in the door, I remember standing there with the sports information director, and I'm getting ready to walk in on this big table, and it's ESPN, it's all the top sports network people in the world, and I'm thinking like, wow, I'm ready. And they were like, now he's telling me, prepping me, calm down. You're gonna be. Able to. I said, dude, I already done this. <laughs> I've done this a million times. Thing, I'm good. I'm good. He's like, I know this is your first time. You're a freshman. It's your first year. I like, yo, I'm good. That's just with me. And then he was. Then I kind of got this name of one take Tracy, because I'm like I'm one take there. Tracy. One take Tracy. I would go in there. I do TV commercials for like five years. I hosted the most watched infomercial in in America. And uh, for Mazda, you know, when the infomercial stuff started going, and for five years, because I've been practicing it, I would walk up and I would be in the bathroom, I put something on the mirror, and I say, style, durability, luxury. Hi, I'm Tracy Williams for Chrysler. And I'm, I'm doing that like in the seventh grade. So when the cameras is there and the girl is patting my face and all this stuff, and they're going to like, well, we got cue cards for you over there. And I'm like, I don't need them. I got it. And they're going to like, yeah, you need it. Everybody needs need it. I said, no, no, no. I said, hey, this is an infomercial. We're going to run 30 minutes straight, no bumps. It's not it's not going to be no breaks. I'm like, dude, roller cars out here. I've been doing this. Not, not. I said, I've been doing this my whole life. I've been working on this. That's how much I'm talking about visual, visualization. I, I, You know, I got into acting. I go get a, a bottle of ketchup or whatever, and I still, now, I stand in the bathroom, and I hold it, and I say, you know, I don't care how many of these I've won, and I'm talking about the Oscar, I say, you just don't get over it when you hear your name called. Ah, oh, so many people to thank. And I practice it now at 59.
1: You still now, practice?
0: Practicing for the Oscar. I'm getting
1: it. I'm going to get one. Yeah, Tracy, if I could just sort of turn it around a little bit because you can't play basketball your whole life. No. So, well, maybe you can, but not many people do. Um, in, in a, especially the Harlem Globe Trotter level, what was your first foray? Outside of basketball, what did you do? Because um, I mean, this is a perennial issue for sports people: what do I would do post my sporting career? Yep. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you made a lot of money or not; you can't do you can't sit around doing nothing. Right. You gonna do nothing just for your self-esteem. So, what did you do after your basketball career?
0: Well, <sighs> to be honest with you, I did. I didn't ever want to think about what I was going to do afterwards. I think it was like a natural, gradual thing. I remember I got a phone call. I still remember it. it was a guy from Columbus, Ohio. I was sitting in North Carolina. And, you know, we do a lot of promo drops. Like, we go to do stuff for the team. And I'm I'm at the end now. And um, thinking about, to be honest with you, Mark, how much? How long my money gonna last? You know, how much? How long is this money gonna last? So, how much time do I have to sit around and wonder whether, what I'm gonna do? And, you know, some people call it serendipity. I call it God. That you know, the phone rang. And it was a guy, and I still remember, he said, I'm from the the Buckeye Correctional Facility. The what? The Buc- what? Buc- Buckeye. Like, Ohio is called the Buckeye State. That's their nickname. Right. So it was a correctional facility there.
1: As in a jail? Yeah, yeah, huh? Uh, we, what we call a jail, like a, a yeah. correctional facility, like yeah, a jail. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: So he said, I heard you speaking on an interview or something, you know, on television. And he said, "I thought you was an amazing speaker, was powerful. I really thought you really, you know." And he said, "I want to know will you come to Ohio, and give the president a speech to our staff and and our young people here?" That's the thing. As an um, inmate or inmates? Yeah, inmates. Yeah, yeah. And I go. First thing I thought, man, it's January, man. I don't want to go to Ohio. Cold. January's too cold, man. And I'm like, so I'm thinking about now. I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna say no. And then he goes, um, yeah. He said, and I just, man, I really think you would be great and stuff. And then he said, oh, I pay you. And I went, hold up. <laughs> I said, um, how much? And then he said a check with a comma on it. And I went, you know what? I think I can come. And that's what really, to be honest with you, Mark. That's what started it. But when I was there, it was like I started feeling something. You know, you go sometimes, you, I, well, at least I did. I was thinking, okay, I'm going to make this money and then I'm going to come back home and that'll, I'll, that'll give me some more time to think. I was like, I felt that feeling that I only felt on a basketball court. I only felt that on it. But I didn't know right at that moment. I didn't know what that was. So, Next thing you know, I spoke there, somebody heard me, then they called me, then they heard me, and then they called me. Then one day, I get a call, and it says, this is Elizabeth Weaving from the White House, and we heard about you. We would like you to come speak for President George Bush, Jr., um, program, faith based Communities. And I'm like, oh, somebody messing with me. Just like they say, because you don't believe that. You don't believe that. You're going like, that's crazy. White House ain't calling me. Nobody's calling me for the White House. And so I said, yeah, 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 yeah. And I hung up. She called back. I didn't answer the phone. I let it go to the voicemail. She left, the, 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 you know, and I, I still didn't call back. And then her boss called. And he said, hey, this is Jay. I want, I want, to, t- I want to invite you to come speak on behalf of the president. And I'm like, I call back. It was true. They was going to do it. I'm freaked out. I fly out. I meet with a then governor of Arizona, Janet Napolitano, who went on to be head of Homeland Security. And, you know, then this whole new level just came. Like once I did that, you know, years later, I get the call again. Uh, President Barack Obama and at the National Prayer Breakfast would love for you to come and be one of our keynote speakers there. And I'm like, I was a little more into it then, because now I've done spoke for Fortune five companies, I've done trainings, I've done executive coaching, I'm doing all this stuff. But it's just, it's amazing, man, where you can go. One, if you can see it, if you can visualize it. Two. You know, it's a scripture in the Bible, Mark, that says, "A man's gift will always make room for him." Listen to that. A man's gift will always make room for him, and bring him before great and mighty people. That's how I started at the National Prayer Breakfast. I, it's it's 140 countries represented there. The, the NPR, 80 percent of the Senate is there. All of most almost all of the U.S. House is there. President Obama, everybody's there. I'm, I'm sitting to the table with. I had lunch early that morning with the Dalai Lama. I'm I'm sitting to the table with, uh, you know, just all of these big time famous dignitaries, and I'm and my mother's sitting there, and I'm going, Mom, remember when you told me I pay you to shut up? I said, Well, y'all, she never paid me, so I kept talking. I said, Look, Ma, I'm here now. I said, I'm I'm so glad you didn't pay me. I said, because now they're paying me to talk. And this this gift. I always tell people that when God makes a human, he don't make no junk. You're a gift to the world. God looked at the world and said, it needs, one more thing, Mark Burris. It needs Mark. And he added it. I believed that. I believed it. So If you here, we needed you. So, it, it,
1: Tracy, is, is the gift, though, your ability to talk or is it to speak fluently and like, you know, like um, um, effortlessly and um, or is it in addition to that, and, and you love doing it too, I can see that you're enthusiastic but you're passionate about speaking to people, but it's also about your ability to build some good content uh, I mean, and how important is the content, the thought process through the content, particularly in relation to the, the White House speech you had to make. I mean it was, sounds like it's around – Christianity or something along those lines. I mean, your content, where where are you getting the content from and what, what inspires you for content?
0: You know, I believe anything that empowers a human, I believe, comes from the Bible. We just take the Elizabethan English off it. We take the THs off, you know. We'll say, change your mind, change your life, and we'll set up a funnel for that. Well, that's just Proverbs. As a man thinketh, so he is. We just we just de-religioned it, you know. We just it's just verbiage. It's just the way because anything that builds you, people like if you stopped me in the elevator and you didn't know me and you said, "What do you do for a living?" I said, "I build people." That's what I do. I build people. I'm a human arts architect. I build people, and then that'll begat you or see it get you to ask the next question. Exactly how do you do that? And I say, I'm so glad you asked. And then I start, you know, depending on the person, and I start talking about that. I want, I've been put here with this gift of gab. I'm going to do one or two things with it. I'm going to use it to tear people down, or I'm going to use it to build people up. I decided I'm going to use it to build people up. And I'm going to do that for the rest of my life and the best of my life. I'm going to come up with ways in more and more ways, and it's easy for me because that is my gift. Everybody has gifts. Yours could be music. Yours could be jujitsu. It could be anything, you know, but you got to give it. You got to give your gift because that's going to inspire somebody. And that's why I love what, what you were doing because when I first heard about you, that what, you interviewed a lot of people, but the interview that's always going to stick out to me is when you're looking at the camera saying, I want to help people. And I told Irene, my partner, I said, uh, Okay, I'm ready. I want to help people. See, I want to work with people who want to help people. If you don't want to help people, I don't want to work with you. I don't care how much money you got. I don't care how much power you got. I'll I'll skip that. I'll skip that part of my life. I'll go to the grave and be okay that I didn't need, interact with you. I didn't do it. If you want to help people, you got my attention. I want you know anything that you're doing, and you're telling me. I want to, if, if it gives you an, a platform or some attention, you got to use it to build somebody up. Somebody's listening. Somebody's where I used to be. And they're not sure. They don't know if they really even have a gift. They don't, and I always tell them, I said, when you're looking for your gift, look where people, a good place to start is what they say your curse is. My mother used to always say to me, You talk too much, boy. That mouth of yours is going to get you killed. No, it got me paid. No, it got me working. It, did, it didn't It did kill me. It didn't kill me. I always tell them, start with a thing that people say you do all the time, that they don't see any value in it. But trust me, there's a tribe out there for you, Mark, that they, they're waiting for you. They're waiting for your gift, and that's the thing that they want. They want your gift. Your gift. Your gift is creating that room for you. Your gift is going to be the thing that's going to make them feel like, you know, I always tell my daughters, I say, let's live, live a life that make people want to venture instead of vegetate. They want to risk instead of rust. I want you to live a life that inspires people. They don't even have to come up and have a conversation with you, but they just see the way you move, just the the energy, the vibe that you're doing. They, they say like, I want to be like him. Or... If Tracy can do it, I know I can do it. I don't care what how you say it. Just do it. That's all I want. That's all I want you to do. I want you to say I don't I, I want to live my life that when I die, no one will ever say that that they'll say I loved him or I hated him. But they'll never say I was indifferent when I left him. I I didn't feel anything when I left him. You know, my wife, I ask me all the time if she don't go to a, a presentation or a speech or training with me, she'll say, how did you do? I said, I made a difference. Some of the people just don't know how much yet. Sometimes I'm planting seeds. Sometimes I'm presenting flowers. But most of the time, I'm just planting seeds, planting seeds. Life will come along later and be a catalyst or trigger. It'll trigger. Now, all I said was just a biblical scripture, Mark. They said, the scripture says, "One man planteth, another man watereth, but God gives the increase." I planted the seed. They watched your show later, and that watered it. That was that causes the, uh, the the germinate, the process to start, and then ultimately, God gives the increase on it. We have to be in that process. Our lives have to when we sit down and evaluate our time here on this planet. We got to find ourselves in them two one of them first two places. If we don't, like Martin Luther King said, if you, you it was it was a life not worth living. If you didn't live in a way that puts you somewhere in there, that those first two, then that life wasn't worth living. You got to live this life out loud. I learned like I'm going to um, live forever but I'm living like I'm going to die tonight. That's what I said. I'm always learning. I'm reading books. I'm doing stuff like I'm going to live forever, but I live like I'm going to die tonight. I want to live my life full, but I'm going to die empty. I don't have nothing left. Me and God got this deal, and I want to record it. We got this deal. I said, God, I want to know when I'm going to die. Like, round the time. I don't You got to show me how. Just kind of in there. Because I want to get some parting shots out. You know, get some stuff out. Because I ain't afraid to die. I know it's a part of living. It makes my life more en- enriched that I know there's an end. That I know it's the end to this. It makes me more stronger. It makes me more powerful. It makes my life so much better that I know that one day it's going to end. It empowers me every single day day do you do, you
1: do you mean by that do you, tracy do you mean by that if you know that there's an end there's an end on its way at some stage mm-hmm. does that mean you you try to uh, be much more um you you're going to cram more in like you, you know yeah. you're going to be operating at full tilt as much as you possibly can and and with as much enthusiasm enthusiasm as you possibly can get without sort of um just sitting back and being lazy just waiting for it to come your way you, you, because for, for me i'm the same I take the view that you know, there's going to be an end. I think okay, every day counts. Every end of every day counts. I've got to try and get as much out of it as I possibly can without trying to, you know, cram too much in. But at the same time, I don't want to waste any time. No. I want to learn. I don't want to deliver. I mean, I want to I want to share. Um, and that's what the show is all about. That's why people like you coming on, you know, I want to share my possibilities with the people with others who don't see that as something possible. Not everybody thinks that it's possible to listen to Tracy today because they wouldn't know how to contact him or Tracy can't talk to 150,000 people. Uh, Well, you probably could, but you you can't do it in one hour, one block. My job is to get them all to listen to you today um, or listen to this interview today. Do you feel as though everybody can – and that's my gift. I have the ability to be in contact with people. Do you feel as though everybody can find the gift? And if so, how do we find our gift? I mean, you mentioned before, look what everybody keeps saying about you. In your case, when you're going to shut up, it's still yep. talking as a kid. Is it possible for everybody, though, to find the gift? I mean, Absolutely. It, yeah. 100%. It's right there in front of them. How me. do they do it? Do they sit down and think about it, or what, what do they do? Wait for it to be revealed to them?
0: Well, it's a bunch of ways there's a plethora of ways one can watch this show you know I yep. mean you have people I've watched it you have people to come on and that help to guide them to it and I say guide but I use that kind of loosely because it seems like it's, it's this long elongated process when really if you know like for me it was talking it was the words it was, it was just speaking and I just but I had to but sometimes your 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 gifts, are being, have been looked at as curses. People have told you that they've told you, you know, you know, you've all say, you've always been real inquisitive. You know what people would have called you? Mark's so nosy. Yeah, He's so nosy. Yo, don't do stuff. He's always asking questions. He gets on my last nerve. I can't stand him. Yo, don't call him over here. He's all he's going to do is ask you a bunch of questions. Okay. That's your gift. That's your gift. It, you know, and then you got to have the courage to go with it. You got to have the courage to go Where do you get the courage from? It. From, like I said, watching these shows, watching this stuff. You get the courage. Because, see, when we see it, we can be it. You know, um... Bob Costas, a famous sports announcer, said something so powerful. You know, Mark, you hear certain things that you know you ain't even got to write the notes down. It's burnt on the plastic cells of your brain. You know you ain't going to never forget that. That was so profound to you. He's doing an interview with a great basketball player retired named Larry Bird, and he's saying, you know, Larry, can I ask you one last question? He goes, what's that? He said, you're respected, looked up, esteemed, in any group, you could go in the blackest the blackest neighborhoods, respect is there. Everywhere we go, you're there. Why don't we see any more Larry birds white kids from America who are really, really good at basketball? Why don't we see a lot of them? He said, because they don't see themselves out there yet. He don't see themselves enough. He said when they can see it, people feel like they can become it. It kind of, it's a natural thing. You're saying, okay, well, Mark's doing it. I see it every day. I see it all the time. Then you know what? He he makes me think I can. Steph Curry, a guy that plays with us, plays basketball, he's one of the top guys in the NBA now. He's your height. He's somewhat the face of the NBA now. Why? Because marketably – he looks like the everyday person. He's not seven foot one. He, you know, he's not really, he's really, he, yo, you look look better. Just like him. He's believable. He he makes people believe. Hey, look at this guy. He's built like me. or oh, I could achieve his build. I could see that type of improvement. He's done it. He's done it. He's taken this gift. He's taking this ability. How he goes out there and dominates these seven-foot guys and scores all of these points and, and he's winning against them over and he's won five championships and he's going over and over and over. That makes when people see it and they keep seeing it. That's why I tell people, don't just watch this show one time. Train your brain over and over and over and over and over, That then that feeds that visual, visualization, and you start seeing yourself. It's, uh, you know, one foot in front of the other, and soon you'll be walking out the door. One foot in front of the other. It's just one step. My dad used to always say, in, uh, inch by inch, anything's a cinch. And I remember when I would be um, having a hard day, a hard time, he said, look, man, you can't mess up more than God can fix it up. So if you out there watching this and you say, yeah, Trace, I hear you and Mark, you guys, but y'all did so many good things and stuff. I haven't done things right. I've made a lot of bad decisions. I'm in a bad situation now because of my prior decisions were poor and they were bad. That's you guys. That can never be me. Mark won't even let me stand up here. I I love talking about my failures. I love talking about how I made a decision and lost all my money and I had to be bankrupt and all this other stuff. I love it. In a world full of people that's fighting to hide that stuff, who don't want to talk about it, I love doing that because I see the growth in that. Because, again, at my core, Mark, my life will help somebody. It will. I, was, I want them to be able to say, if he could make it back, if he could get that, get get up, dust his stuff off, square his shoulders up. I always tell people, if you get knocked down, make sure you fall on your back. Because if you fall on your back, that means you can look up. And if you can look up, then you can get up. Make sure you fall on your back. If, if, if life's going to knock all of us down, you know, I. sports has taught me that. You know, a few years ago, I had... Pulmonary embolisms all over my lungs. And I remember the doctor just faced this white. He was like, they're everywhere. We just looked at the x-ray. Any one of these things can break off and kill you, give you a stroke, heart attack, whatever. I'm thinking about can you get lunch in the emergency room? Cause in as a as an athlete, you know, when we get hurt, they can show. Up on the, on the uh, x-ray, all kind of stuff, you could be saying, and this is what's going on with you, Tracy. This is what's going on with you. And this is broke, and this is bad, and this is hurt, and all this stuff. And then we go, so when can I go back to practice start training again? When you think I'm going to be back on the court, Doc? How long do you think that the rehab is going to take, Doc? Our yeah. brains are trained to that. Hey, okay, I see all of that. I know it's, it looks bad. It sounds bad. But I'm unstoppable. I, I'm unstoppable. I'm unstoppable. You gotta know that. You gotta know. So I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there, my daddy's scared of them, my wife is crying and everybody. And they like, I say, yo, I'm here, I ain't going nowhere. I'm not going anywhere. I ain't this is a fight till I'm finished. So I'm going to fight till I'm finished. And I ain't finished yet. I ain't finished yet. I still got stuff to do. I tell people all the time when they go into surgeries and it's really like, you know, it's a chance things could go bad. I said, don't let them people put you asleep without you thinking about something you gotta do when you wake up.
1: Wow, that's good. I like that one.
0: Don't don't ever let them put you to sleep until without you already having a plan for what's gonna happen after you wake up. You have to. That stuff will pull you. It will, I don't care what happens in that operating room. I don't care what happens. You can go cold, blue, get your own, all kind of, hey, you have something to do with your life. And I always say this, Mark. I say, look, I don't want to live a day longer than I supposed to. Not one day. Not one day. But I don't want to die a day sooner than I supposed to. I want to be on time. I want to be on time. I want to be on time about that. When it it gets to the end, I ain't going to be scared. I'm not gonna be crying and all this other stuff. I'm gonna be sitting there just talking about, hey, words of life, talking about people. I said, look, now I'm going, I'm graduating. I'm not dying. I'm graduating to a whole new level of living. I'm so hooked on growth, Mark. I always tell my wife, if I precede you in this life, I I tell her this. I said, wherever they bury me at, at the cemetery, the person who cuts the grass at the cemetery is gonna have to cut the grass over me way more than he cuts everywhere else. I'm so hooked on growth. I'm so full of growth. It's so a part about who I am that the grass that that, that grows over me, it's just going to be, this, this grass is always up eight or nine inches higher than everywhere else. I'm going to live my life that way. And when I'm done, I'm going to graduate to a higher consciousness, a higher way of living, and in there, I'm going to be able to influence and inspire people even more.
1: You know what? It's amazing, Tracy. I'm, you're substantially taller than me, um, at least seven or eight inches taller than me. And uh, but that whole—that's quite infectious the way you talk. But also, it's not just the way you talk; what you're saying It's sort of coming from deep inside you. I can feel it. I now feel like I'm six foot six. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of very infectious. No, it seriously. Is. And I guess that's your new mission in life, isn't it? That it is your is. mission.
0: My best mission, Mark. Yeah. It's better than the basketball. It's better. No, I don't, my uh, many goals, Mark, when people Google me, I want my basketball stuff to be so far down in the search. You know, they said, this guy made a difference. He counted. He counted. You know, I always tell when I speak to corporations, I talk to middle management people, I say, you know what? We all in this room have been successful. And success is good. It is good. Success is good. But let me tell you what success means. Success means you did something that was good for you and probably the immediate members of your family. But what they brought me in here to talk to you about today is something bigger than that, something greater than that. And that's significance. The thing that's greater than success is being significant. What I see, you know, what you've done here, Mark, what you're doing right here now is significant. The people that you bring on here that inspire a generation and generations to come, this is, yeah, you've done some successful stuff, and that's good, and that's all right, but don't die. See, you did. You decided not to die just on that because everybody done made some money. Everybody done made some money. We've had some great times played different places. I've done all of that. But for my life to count, for my life to really count, I must be significant. I must be significant, which means that makes me immortal. That even when this body ceases to function, I plan it enough. I planted it enough. This is the greatest thing about being on your show. I'm getting to throw seed further. I get to throw seed further. I came in here like a farmer full of seed. I'm throwing seed further somebody somewhere on this planet at some time, it might be a hundred years into the future and they still watching the mentor and they sitting there and they go like, wow, that's it. That's it. That's what he, he watered what was already in me. That's what this is all about for me. Everything, you know, I always tell people there's two ways you can make a living in this world at the expense of others or at the service of others. There's two ways you can do it. It's all right to make a fortune. It's all right. But make sure it's at the service of others. That you're serving people. You you want to be able to say, "Hey, yeah, yeah, he did it, but you know what? He provided a service that we all needed and he did, and he provided it at a level so high. So so excellent. That's what you want to do." That's what we want to do. I I don't just want to make money. I want to make a difference. I want to be able to say, hey, you know what? They don't even think about the money you make because they're looking at the difference that you made. That's what you want to be able to do. Now, where do I get all of that from? I get that from the Bible. You know, God. when the the disciples were saying, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They were having an argument. And they said Jesus overheard them. And he didn't come over and say, hey, stop, Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, stop. You shouldn't be arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's just arrogant. You shouldn't be thinking about that that stuff. No, what he said, I heard y'all talking. Let me tell you how you do it. If you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, serve the most. He said, the one who serves the people the most will be the greatest in my kingdom. Who serves the people the most. If you want to be great. He didn't say it was bad for you to be great. He didn't say you shouldn't want to be great. And you hear a lot of churches, they're dumbing people down I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not scripture. He didn't say nothing about that being bad. But, it, well, who does it serve? It's got to serve more than you. It's just got to. Margie, what you've done with your life has got to send ripples out across the world. Or maybe your life wasn't worth living.
1: Tracy Williams, um, thanks for reminding me today why I do the show. That's Because, you know, sometimes we lose track. We do. Because we, we get involved in what we do and we forget why we're doing it. Yes, I appreciate sir. that. but But also, thanks for leaning into... Telling us how important it is to help others and make a difference. And I really like living a life of service. I really love that. I appreciate it. Good on you being a good old Aussie now.
0: Yes, I am. I love it.
1: And taking it and taking this story, your story, the power of your story, because, by the way, you got a hook. Harlem Globetrotters. Yep, I do. You know, you've got an accent. Yep. Blah, blah. You've got a hook. You're using your hook to make a difference. Appreciate yes. it, mate.
0: Thank you. God bless.